welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome to another episode of the Barnyard Language Podcast. Thank you for joining us again today, or maybe it's your first time. So just thank you for joining us. We usually start out by just recapping what's going on in our weeks. So Katie, what's going on? What's happening on the farm? It feels a little weird, Arlene, because normally we record these in the morning and today we're doing it in the evening. So for anyone who's on Patreon and can see the video, I do not normally have blue mood lighting or a beer at, you know, nine o'clock in the morning when we normally record. But tonight I do because it's nighttime and I can do these things. Yeah, I like the on, blue light. Yeah, you like that? It's fancy, huh? On the farm, we got back from vacation. All of us... Everyone who went on vacation came back from vacation, which is always good. The kids nice. actually did super, super well. The Having those DVD screens built into every seat is really a godsend for the people with small children. The Both children asked for the movie to be changed like 28 times in a four-hour flight, but they didn't yell or throw anything or, you know in any way irritate anyone which is awesome so that was good and we had a great vacation except that i got an email from one of my cousins this morning that she just tested positive for covid so we'll see how that goes oh perfect yeah right and i mean we're, we're all and vaccinated you were and everything in california but, correct yep, yep. Yeah. We were in doesn't stop you from getting it anymore, right? No. But we were in Orange County, so we went to the beach multiple times a day. And the boy child was very nice. excited. Was it, that hot the, or? it was gorgeous. It was like 75 degrees, 80 degrees, sunny. Other than the traffic and the general number of people, I can totally see why people live in California. And you know, the, the cost of living. And you know, we were Oh yeah, yeah, that thing too. Yeah. For work the other day, we were comparing property costs, and one of my coworkers posted in, I think, San Jose, you could get a, a nice quarter acre with a teardown house for two and a half million dollars. Um, so with the you know, with the house that would have to be bulldozed. And the closest residential yeah, property yeah, I found right. here was five bedrooms, six baths, 95 acres, you know, indoor swimming pool, that kind of situation. And that was only two million. It's like, well, that's why we live yeah. in the Midwest, right there. Other and than you that, could probably lowball them because there aren't that yeah, many. Yeah. Wouldn't be that many buyers. Yeah. The last place like that was for sale for like two years and something before they went off the market. Um other than that, not a whole heck of a lot, I guess. Yeah. Not really. Well, leaving the farm for multiple days is a pretty big deal. So it was it was pretty dang exciting. So we're preparing for the barn tour that'll be over by the time this comes out. But other than that, not much going on. Just getting ready to start thinking about harvest. So how's it going at your place, Arlene? Yeah, thinking about harvest too. We're not not quite there yet. Things are close, but it's been a bunch of rain this week. So it's just in a hold pattern at the moment. 
and I got the chance to do a couple of talks this week, which we talked about in the update last week. I was at the international plowing match and I got to meet Nicole from a previous episode. She's the creator of the Muddy's brand of workwear. So we got to meet each other in person, which was pretty cool. And she ended up actually joining me for my little talk. And we did kind of a short interview and she got to tell us about her company. So that was pretty cool. And it was neat to be out and seeing lots of people. And today, today especially was we're recording on Wednesday. It was really sunny and warm. And yeah, everybody seemed happy to be out and doing things and lots of equipment and tractors and all that kind of stuff to to look at and food to try and music to listen to and all that kind of stuff so that was fun and at the time of recording i haven't actually attended the eastern ontario ag women's event yet but that's coming up today or tomorrow and so this will be three days in a row that i'm wearing makeup and uh pants with a belt so this is i'm gonna have to like recover for a little while because this is very very unusual last night my daughter walked through the room and she's like don't forget to take your makeup off and i was like yes good point I didn't, <laughs> you actually have to do that i actually put on mascara the other day and then realized that it was not waterproof and i was at a memorial service and i was like you know i used to wear makeup every day and i would have never had non-waterproof mascara and i just didn't think about it so yeah, I saw yeah. on the Bad Muddy's. On yeah, I saw on the Muddy's Instagram too that their overalls are. I don't know that they're out for sale yet, but they were recording advertisements for them, so they must be. Yes, on the way if they're I got not to out see yet. Some got to see some prototypes, and I bet within the next week or two they'll probably be available online. And the other thing happening around here is that we're, you know, into the third week of school. So people are starting to get sick. So far, doesn't seem like it's COVID. We've done a bunch of tests, but, you know, colds, coughs, you know, all the grumpiness that goes along with that too. And then, you know, in a COVID world or post-COVID, whatever we want to call it, you know, you can't really send them to school if they have symptoms. So... It's interesting trying to to juggle when people are going to school and when they aren't. And like I said before, my my second is in high school now. So missing school is kind of a, a bigger deal now than it was maybe even last year. So yeah, trying to trying to balance all that kind of stuff and figure out how my, how many symptoms are too many symptoms. So yeah, I guess that's just the constant struggle I've, of school. Yeah. It feels like, too, we're at that time of year where people who've never had allergies before suddenly start having allergies and things. Mm -hmm. and I had for, like, two weeks, one side of my nose ran nonstop. And I'm like, <laughs> just there was an episode of Grey's Anatomy, like, the first season where a woman comes in for a runny nose and it turns out to be cerebrospinal fluid, like, you know, from inside her skull oh, leaking geez. out her nose. So every time I get and a runny nose, part of me that. is like... It's probably my brain leaking. It's, it's not. It's it's just ragweed. <laughs> right. But like, no, yeah, thank yeah, you, Grey's Anatomy, yes. for that one. Yeah, the, like, yeah, keep that. I'll just keep that in the back of my head forever. Now, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, guess so it is theoretically hit me possible. Hard there for a few weeks. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, and then they brought it, in all the rare stuff for that one. And then yesterday it was ninety-one degrees here which Fahrenheit, I don't know what that is in Canadian, but it was damn hot for the Warm. third week of September. Mm -hmm. And then today it was 
62. But yesterday we had just an explosion of flies and I found out the yellow jackets had made a nest in the boy child's bedroom window between the storm window and the inside window and you know it got hot enough that all the house flies hatched in one great final hurrah and it was just oh no <laughs> bugs and we bugs. will live one more day yes but I did see I went out to do some stuff outside and was coming back in last night and saw that the big brown bats were having quite a feast so I hope they enjoyed it Yes. Get to work, bats. Yeah. I don't think they eat yellow jackets. That seems spicy, but yeah. You know, yeah, they, they might certainly do away with much. the mosquitoes. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting close to the end of bug season. It's oh, it's God. that fine line of like we can you can kind of sit out on the porch for a few minutes till it gets too cold, but there's finally no mosquitoes. Yeah, but then the allergies take over. There's just there's only like a few days of perfect weather every year. Yeah. I'm not it sure was, I uh, appreciate that when yeah. they happen. I was a little horrified in California that there were no insects, which seemed nice until I found out that it's because they spray like non-stop for bugs in there. <laughs> it's like, well, oh yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, it's nice not to have mosquitoes, but it's a lot of chemicals. Anyway. Yeah. But maybe they're the kind of bugs that try and kill you. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... That's what happens in warm places, right? Yeah, better than malaria or Zika or whatever. Yes, that's a good point, too. Yeah. Oh, the one thing that was kind of cool was our hotel had a swimming pool on the second floor of the hotel. And it was open to the the sky above, which I thought was cool. Oh, that is fun. Anyway, because it doesn't snow there, so they can do weird shit like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. All right, right. so we've done the pool report and the bug report. Now we will go to our guest for this week. All right. Yeah, so before we officially start... I'm just going to say that we we usually leave our cameras on, but we don't actually keep the, we don't put the video anywhere. So we just record audio. And on our podcast, Swearing's Fine, we don't edit it out. So you don't have to, but if it... If you swear, that's good. Sometimes we do. I can't believe you have, of all the people that have a, some, some podcast that allows swearing, I did <laughs> not expect it was going to be Arlene Hunter. Well, right? It's my bad influence. Yeah. Let's say Katie does most of the swearing. Is that right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to not swear and share video, I'd never show up for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd be peacing out Girl Scout real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so now we can start. Okay. I will do the intro then. So today, Katie and I are talking to Andy Mark Junkin, who those of you from Ontario or maybe who went to the University of Guelph will remember as Bob Cajun. Andy is a farm strategist, succession planning expert for, who is now living in Iowa. And he's the perfect guest for Katie and I because he's from Ontario, but now lives closer to her. He's also the father of three little ones and has a homestead of his own. So welcome to the show, Katie. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. So my, <laughs> my name on my birth certificate is Mark Andrew Junkin. But as you know, Arlene, it was a trivia fact on a lot of, a lot of, it was a trip. Everybody at University of Guelph called me Bob Cajun or yes. Cajun, right? Yes. So no one really knew your name. Nobody knew my name. Your, your husband, Hugh, always was a close friend of mine. He always called me Mark because, or, you know, because he was one of the very few that knew, actually knew my real Christian name. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And I so, go by Andy here professionally okay. in the Midwest. Yeah. So. Professionally, sure. Professionally. So, yes. yes. For about five minutes until they become my friends. Then everybody calls me Cajun. So. Got it. So we usually start our podcast with the question, what are you growing? So this can cover kids, businesses, crops, all kinds of things. So as a way to introduce yourself, can you tell us what are you growing? I'm growing family farms. My focus is not on growing cattle or sheep, but my, my focus is on saving family farms across North America and making sure that uh, farms that took generations to build up continue for a, a couple more generations. I'm in the business of improving the odds of a farm still going 50 years from now. That is awesome. And what about in your in your own I'm, home? I'm How also growing kids. I have uh, since I last guys. spoke to you, Arlene. I had three boys. I have a boy named Huckleberry. He's uh, four and a half, and I have a boy named Samuel Colt, and he is three. And uh, and I have a young lad uh, named a Scout, and he was just born Christmas Eve. So I haven't seen you since I got married. So yeah, yeah. look, yeah. So it's been. I, yeah. I remember your wedding distinctly. For those folks that don't know, Arlene. Hunter had definitely the top three, if not the top one wedding of all all time that I ever attended. Wow, they had, that's, they had that's fiddle, high praise for they, you. No, I mean that. I remember genuinely going to your wedding and Hugh playing the fiddle and having a square dance. And that was the funnest wedding I've ever been to. It was a yeah. lot of fun. Now, do you remember any of the reception or just the wedding itself? Well, this oh, sounds I, like I it don't remember probably like that was at was the reception. Yeah, and and, okay. and, and yeah. my my memory of I think it was open bar, so my memory beyond that is is pretty limited in details. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Remember the square dancing? It yeah. was it was, yeah, it our, was our, our MC doubled as a square dance caller, so that worked out pretty well for us. It was it was a classic Eastern Ontario wedding. I just it was heart of the Ottawa Valley, and I just I always remember that fondly. Arlene, did you have your reception on the farm? Or did you actually go to a hall like a normal person? We did not want to rent all of the things. And yeah, our wedding was in late September. So we the ceremony was at a church and the reception was in the ag hall at the local fairgrounds. So it was awesome. Yep. That sounds like a pretty typical wedding around here. Too. Just thought I'd clarify about how much of the wedding was remembered. Because sure, I know there's yeah. a fair number of people who don't remember a lot of sure. ours. Yeah. And what else are you growing on your, you've got a bit of property where you are. Oh, we, do, are, we just uh, basically have a home. Working on a few little things. Yeah, yeah, we have, we have a homestead. Uh, I don't want to dwell on it too much because, sure. you know, ba basically it's just, it's a hobby farm. My kids will never starve. That is for certain. We pretty much grow everything we, we, we eat. So it's, uh, it's a great place for kids to grow up. And that's what we're really focused on. Bernadette comes from a fruit and vegetable background. So we have, I think, 42 different varieties of trees. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, we have a little orchard and it's great. And is your wife from Iowa then, or is she? she uh, she's from Michigan. So you only have to go on a date twice with a girl that turns out to be your cousin to decide to go to the United States of America and go on farmersonly.com and find a wife. So that's, uh, that's how we came across each other. <laughs> My husband and I met on farmersonly.com because he had to find a wife from just halfway across the state. Is so, that right? I mean, is at that... least he didn't have to leave the whole country, but yeah. Well, I, I yeah, just same. after after uh, meeting two girls in a bar and doing the conventional way, I decided to go online and find a girl that wasn't my cousin. So that yeah, was fun. Yeah, and, and our first date was our uh, her first date. She was going to be a nun, and it was really her first kiss. And our uh, I knew it was my last first date, so it was great. I know my my husband had actually told his folks the day before our first date that he was never getting married. He was never having kids, none of it. And he went on farmers only to, 
delete his account and saw a message from me. And 10 years later, here we are. Well, so. I'm pretty sure if you ask Arlene and Hugh about five years ago, if I was going to get married, they were pretty skeptical. Yeah, I will say that that farmers only saved the day there. <laughs> there wasn't a hope in hell. Yep. So anyways, I'm really happy and marriage has actually exceeded my expectations. So it's, it's working out really good. So tell us about your program and your approach to working with the stubborn farmers, because it, it sounds like you think there's a, such a thing as farmers that aren't stubborn. I haven't met them, but yeah, you know, so, if you have to clarify, there must be some. So I've been doing this for 15 years. It was initially called agriculture strategy, but essentially the word stubborn just kept on popping up to describe a lot of situations I was dealing with. And so we actually changed the name of the company to stubborn.farm. So basically I help start my niche is that I help stubborn farmers work better together. And essentially I get everybody from button heads and pulling the farm in different directions to getting on the same page and get everybody pulling the same direction. And so 77% of farms do not have a succession plan. And that's because everybody's, I would say 90, 98% of farms have had a succession planner come onto the farm, but 77% of the time that succession planner leaves the farm frustrated, calling the family stubborn. And the fact is that if you've get a bunch of people that are constantly bickering about making little 10% improvements to improve efficiencies here and there, and they can't make simple decisions together, how are you supposed to talk about where the farm is going to be in 10 years time? And that's what's broken. And so what I, you know, what I've learned over the last 15 years is that you got to get a farm family to stop being stubborn with each other. And then you also got to get everybody to start being stubborn at the critical habits that make a farm successful. For the those of us who are farming with families who are not even our own family of origin, so we maybe have a little less leverage, how do we even get them on board to meet with you? We do have a succession plan and we're sure fairly committed to it, but actually enacting it, you know, well, I'd, I, I, I'd rather I would... not... Be I would say home doing this. I, I would so. say a dark a dark secret. So so what I'm really focused on is I have a 24 month process where basically I sit down with a farm family once a month and we get everybody to come to the table with an idea to improve the efficiency of the operation. So it's not just a young lad coming to the to the table with ideas to improve the farm. It's grandpa coming to the table too. And you know, for each meeting that I have, everybody's got to come to the table. It's it's got can't cost more than a thousand dollars to for an idea to to improve. So we're not talking about buying a combine or buying the farm next door. We're talking about really simple ideas. And it, it what it forces everybody to do is that instead of the young lad coming to grandpa and then grandpa shooting across in his arms in the yard and shooting down the idea, grandpa's going to be more open to listening to what the grandson has to say if he's going to make an a pitch for a different idea in three minutes time. And so what we do is I'm really focused. I see a lot of farm families that the common element of the stubborn families I work with, everybody has gets into the mindset of I'm smarter than you. And as a result, we make stupid decisions together as a family. And so I'm really focused, first of all, on getting farm families to make smart decisions together. And actually by uh, instead of one person have to have be a bully and always have their way by getting everybody to listen to everybody's ideas and to collectively making better decisions together. And then for each meeting I have, I make one improvement in how the family works together and one improvement to the character of each individual. So generally, if a farm family has anger management issues, which a lot of farm families, have, I mean, everybody's got 5% about themselves that are, are character flaws. I mean, most of the farm families I work with are excellent people. 
It's just that everybody's got flaws and that a lot of them are collective. Like if you have a family trait that we turn, we get angry, we tend to turn molehills into mountains. Well, let's work on that. Let's, this month, let's just make on over the next six months, let's work on that one feet, one character trait of turning molehills into mountains. And then next month we'll adopt another family, ha a bad habit and turn it into a good habit. And if you do that over 24 months, that's 24 improvements to how the family works together. You've got a whole different family environment. And then sitting down to do succession planning, it's a three-hour meeting where everybody's listening to what the other person has to say instead of having a pissing contest. And, you know, it, it, succession can happen in three hours instead of turning into a 10-year family feud. So then literally, how do I get my family to the table? Do I just like sign us up and ambush them? Or because what, 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 <laughs> totally um, asking for a friend yeah. who is not me. You're, you're acting, uh, you're asking for a friend. <laughs> yep. Well, here's the two things is, is that generally what I do is I work with somebody as an individual. So if we can, if I can work with you one-on-one, -on -one, we have a 12 week pro, we actually have a 12 week program where we take your, your performance from good to great. So it's basically something like life coaching and your family will see a difference in your behavior as a result. And then generally, as a result, the family wants to, to sign up for the, the entire program because they're really interested in what we do. So what I get you to focus on is to stop being stubborn, to start thinking about how you can stop being stubborn with your family members and start being stubborn, at some, turning some bad habits into good habits. And if you set the example for your family, they'll easily quickly come on board. And that, that's what we found has really worked. And that's why we're successful today. And, and I think that the, the other thing is with the families, I should say that I provide a 300% return on investment guaranteed. So when I start working with a family, I'm not Dr. Phil. I don't get farm. I really focus on the money. So if I can get grandpa to talk about his ideas to improve farm efficiency and your uncle Bill, that, that doesn't really have much to do. It doesn't really feel comfortable with singing, singing Kumbaya, I guess you'd say, and holding hands. If we can have a family business meeting where we're improving farm efficiency, and then the side effect is improving how you work together, each meeting I have, we make between three to 10,000 bucks on average. And so that easily justifies the cost so that when I'm introduced as a, as a program, it's not just seen as a wishy-washy thing, but it's actually an efficient method to really improve because your family's smart. It's just that you're making stupid decisions together. So if you can get everybody listening to each other, you, you make more money. And then it's a, it becomes a no-brainer process for everybody to adapt and buy into. For all our uh, for all our listeners who can't see what this guy looks like, I'm not even sure what to call you now because I missed that whole thing. The Canadian. <laughs> everybody call Canadian calls me Cajun. Now. Yeah, everybody Cajun. calls me Cajun. All right. Yeah. He looks like somebody that my father-in-law would listen to, which is a definite plus. Because if somebody shows up out here, to be honest, in like a, a button-down shirt and a tie and... Oh. None of us are going to listen to that. Let's just face so, it. So Arlene and I went to university and she's being too, too darn quiet right now, but Arlene and I went to university and I think that, uh, I think that 25 years ago, this would be the last thing I would ever expect to be doing with my life. Wouldn't you agree with, with me, Arlene? Yeah. Yeah. Beyond, beyond being married, this is the second most shocking thing. You know, basically I, I, all I plan to do is go home and farm in Bob Cajun. And, uh, you know, 25 years ago, I would have thought that this was a bunch of BS to improve how families communicate and listen to each other. But, you know, my dad, the year I came home from the day I went to college, my mom showed me the farm financials. And she says, you got five years to fix these numbers or else I'm going to leave your father. And so I really thought it was a matter of figuring out 
from a production standpoint, how to improve the efficiencies of our farms and, and went to some pretty big extremes to do that. And then the year I came home from college, my, my dad plowed down my crops and I realized the hard way that the knowledge and skills are absolutely useless if you can't get everybody pulled in the same direction. And this is, this has come from that whole experience. Well, I'm sorry to say, but it's, it's pretty easy to, to see as an outsider that if somebody says they're going to get divorced, unless you fix the business, you're yeah, screwed there's no from pressure. the beginning on that one, man. No, no pressure <laughs> you know, at all. There's no yeah. winning on that. Yeah. But. And there was no pressure at all. So it is what it is. So my parent, yeah. And, and we, we've, we've been able to turn a bad thing into a good thing for a lot of farm families, just not for my own. Well, and here you are, you know, married and getting to live in the great state of Iowa and, you know, living the dream, having kids and living the dream. Yeah. Yeah. So much. Really happy. Really, really happy. So I know that you work with farmers across North America and I'm sure there's, there's a ton of differences, but what are some of the most common things that you see within farm families? Because sometimes it feels like when you're in a family situation that you're the only one and that, you know, one thing that we talk a lot about on this podcast is about being open about things and talking about the struggles as well as the joys of this lifestyle and this career choice and all of all of the good things that go along with it, but also being honest about what's what's hard about it because there's so many people who are who are probably struggling and I'm sure that you see a lot of that, but don't want anyone else to know. So what are some of those commonalities that you see in farm families that, that you either help them with or that, you know, that, that you see when you're on the ground and actually talking to people? Well, I, I think the, the, you have to understand that I, I was the guy from Canada that, that surveyed for progressive dairymen about 10 years ago. And I wrote some for some national farm papers on top of that. But I was the guy that was called in from Canada to sort out situations across America and across North America, really, after there's been two or three succession planners already on the farm. And I just got a reputation for returning. And I was able to empathize with a lot of the family farmers that I, and I was able to get some, some, be a really good, effective mediator. But I think what's, what's common is that everybody thinks that they're the only ones experiencing these problems. And I actually, I, I have a book that I, I, I have a friend that just got married. I'm just actually have my note on, on it's, it's a book called the Idiot's Guide to the Perfect Marriage. And I'm just about to send him a message in the mail and say, just put theory into practice as my, my wedding gift to him. But I think the thing is that a lot of farm families, they think that they're only one struggling with these problems. And so what I've seen, what happened was, I think what's the biggest change in marriages have changed a lot in hundred years in that it's now a partnership instead of one person being dominant. And I think the problem we have in, in farm families is we haven't figured that out. We, we tend to have this mentality that there's the patriarch is going to be dominant and you're going to follow grandpa's lead until the day he dies. And I think what, what folks haven't realized is that like marriage, the way farm families work has changed. And the, the biggest change in technology is the fact that back in the 60s, when dad was 60, he would retire because his hips were shot. Nowadays, he's farm, dad's farming to his 80s or 90s. And if you want to farm to the day you die, I think that's fantastic. But suddenly we have a situation, most farms, where there's three generations farming together. And I don't think it really should matter 
who owns more equity on a piece of paper in a safe. What matters is how do we make good, the best quality decisions together and how can we work together as a team day to day so farming is fun. And I think that what, what the problem is that there is no perfect marriage book for farm families. And there's what I've seen over the last 15 years is folks that are really good farm families, like everybody thinks that they're just dysfunctional families. The biggest, the most common thing that I've seen within all the families that I've had to take shotguns out of, I've had to take shotguns or firearms out of suicidal farmers' hands more times than I've got fingers. I, the one thing that was in common with all these family farms was it was the neighbor that you would never expect to hear this gossip from. They were the family that you most respected. And what what what's wrong is that, you know, everybody feels that they're the only ones having these dark secrets. And so what I've what I've noticed over the years is a, a lot of common elements. Uh, and basically what I'm what what I'm really evangelizing in this program is the the, the shift in mindset of common problems that nobody anticipates, but but everybody has. So like like in the perfect marriage book here, they'll talk about common problems people don't don't think about, like young couples arguing about finance. Well, you have the similar type of problems within farm families. And the thing is, is that when preachers started writing books like The Perfect Marriage or doing pre-marriage courses after they started seeing young couples that they had married 10 years later experiencing strife and, and basically going through a hell because they spent 10 years bickering. I'm about common problems that could have been prevented. And I'm all about trying to get as, as early as, as possible in the game, taking how you work together as a family from good to great. So my wife and I, we started seeing a marriage counselor the first, the first month that we got married. It wasn't because we had problems, but we, what we've done systematically every quarter is make one improvement to how we work together. And I think that we need to have that element within the farm families. And what, what's the common element within all the farm families that are experiencing all these problems is that they think that we're a good family, we, don't, we won't ever have problems. And that's like getting married and expecting that it's gonna be happily ever after. You're gonna have problems working within, within the farm family. What we gotta do is have really good problem solving skills together as a family, so that whatever we encounter, we can overcome. And the common element for all these families is that we all want to pretend that we're the perfect family, that we're never gonna, we're never gonna have problems and it's, um, nobody gets married to the to the uh, expecting to get divorced. Nobody gets married to their farm family expect uh, or coming home to the farm family expecting there's going to be problems. And that's just foolish. And that's the common element that we've got to kill. Is we got to instead of never expecting to have problems, we got to anticipate that we have problems. But we got to evolve how we problem solve together as a family. I feel like one of the big things we hear a lot too on this show is that you know when you marry into a farm family, you're marrying the whole family. You know, if you're working yeah. together, you're marrying all of them. Yeah. And there seems to be such an understanding that like if if you ever say that you have a, an issue with your in-laws, it's probably at the like, I would set them on fire if I could level. And most of us have issues with our in-laws at some point, but it's just normal frustrations. But we never talk about that part. So everybody assumes that they're the only one who's just 20% pissed off about something stupid. You know, and if you ever hear that somebody is mad at their in-laws, you're assuming that it's at a, a serious crisis point. And so I think we really need to be talking about everything that's in the middle there, because I think yeah. that's the stuff we don't hear, you know. And well, I, I think the root issue there is that 
you, for every for every spouse that doesn't get along with your in-laws it's because they got into being stubborn with each other and they got they they had an i'm smarter than you attitude between father quite often i see father-in-law and daughter-in-laws situations it often happens with other genders but the thing is the father-in-law daughter-in-law scenario quite often i see a daughter-in-law being well liked by her family and whether it's two months before a wedding or two months after there's something said by the daughter-in-law about how the family functions and about how they they operate and suddenly the girl goes from being on a pedestal to being the bitch that has to go and and what the problem is is that the family didn't expect the the daughter-in-law to have different perspective than the in-laws and what what the root issue is that is and it reflects generally that happens with a situation where you have a you, you got to get used to listening to everybody's different perspectives it's no longer you got to kill the i'm smarter than you and start making smarter decisions together as a family and if you can fix that problem you can fix everything else and more well, importantly I, you have to be stubborn at doing the right thing and the, being stubborn at doing the right thing might be regularly having family meetings listening to somebody else's perspective that you disagree with and really considering it you know, these are the critical things that make a farm successful in the long term. I think, too, is the as the daughter-in-law who married in, the biggest challenge yeah. for me has been that there's so much unspoken family history that because it's just part of life to everyone else in the family, they it doesn't occur to anyone that you don't, like, magically download this the day you get married, that you don't magically know about some family bullshit from a hundred years ago that we're still dealing with, you know? And so even if you're yeah, trying to be well-intentioned and I've definitely got my own stubborn pain in the ass streak and my own sure. issues, and I'd be the first to say that, but it's, it's easier for me to deal with the things where I know I'm being a pain in the ass than when it's things that I honestly didn't know about you know, and then you've just fallen into it and then all hell breaks loose. Well, I, I think the thing uh, about it's like a good family therapy session. Here. Yeah, no, that's all good. It's all uh, the thing is, is that a lot of farm families I work with are Christian. And it's easy to be on a church deacon and talk about your faith, but it's actually hard to actually implement behind the barn. And I think that that's the, the real solution for a lot of farm families is we got to do something called forgiveness which is easy to talk about at church, but hard to actually do behind the barn. And the first piece of land that I think every young farmer should buy, I mean, the banks always think that, you know, if the, the, the are encouraging their son to buy the farm next door and have some, some assets in his name, we can talk about that later. But I think the first piece of land that young farmer should buy is a cemetery plot for himself and his, his whole family in that little cemetery 10 miles down the road or two miles down the road that your family maintains. And the, the question's gotta be within the farm family, is everybody committed to being stewards of the land in, in the, of the soil that surrounds the cemetery? And more importantly, what do we wanna do with our lives between now and then? And how can we create heaven on earth together? How can we create heaven on earth together? And you know, when you think, start thinking in terms of that perspective, we start changing our whole mindset of what our mission and vision is to, to accomplish on the world. Like, we don't know how long we're going to be on the earth. It might, you might be dead this afternoon. With farming, that's a very high risk. But the question we got to ask as a farm family is, how are we going to work together? 
how can we we're going to be buried 10 feet from each other how can we actually stand to be in, in five feet of each other on a day-to-day -day basis and that that comes to by having two things getting everybody from button heads and pulling the farm different directions to get everybody on the same page about where we're going and get really good at problem solving so we actually get to where we want to go not just get to where we don't want to go because all we do as farm families these days is talk about what we don't want we don't actually talk about what we do want and we're not unified and and, and go in the same direction i was just having a a praise hands moment about that one my husband and i did a a farm couples retreat a couple of years ago that was run by our local extension service here in the county and the biggest thing for us was talking about what our very highest priority was and realizing that keeping our family together was more important to us than keeping the farm together was eye-opening and it has made it so much easier for us to focus on the farm because we have a better understanding of where it falls in our priority list has just been tremendous yeah. for us the, the biggest problem i have when you go to couples retreat so i often see farm families they go off, i mean a young couple will go off to a meeting done by extension or somebody else and and they'll you'll write a business plan where you come up with some sort of strategy and the issue is that you come back to the farm and your uncle bill that is in the shop at six o'clock every morning he wasn't at that meeting and and the whole issue we have within farm families it comes back to the bible with the tower of babel right where for those of you who don't know the tower of babel basically was was whether you believe in bible or you believe it's just to be fable it doesn't matter it's a good analogy to the problem we have here and it's basically that they got together and they spoke the same language and they communicated and they worked really effectively to build up a tower and then God toppled that tower and he says, okay, from now on, you guys are going to speak different languages. And the problem is, is that within farm families, we are all, we're all talking English, but we might as well be speaking French and Spanish to each other because we're, we're, we're talking, but we're not listening to each other and we're not understanding each other. And what you got to do is get a common language within the family about what, where are you going and how you're going to get there. And, you know, when you're doing these business planning meetings, it's really important that your uncle bill's involved in that right it's got to be not just your vision it's got to be his vision right and and your aunt martha and whoever else is involved in the operation it's got to be everybody's got to be unified towards achieving the same simple goals and that and then once you got everybody com, uh, with a common you know i i'm a big believer for instance like in getting a BHAG one time in back in 2012 I walked into a farm and they had a very complex business plan that they had written in a seminar. Uncle Bill wasn't involved in that meeting. And they actually had, the farm went through some bank, near bankruptcy situations. Um, I'm not gonna get into the whole situation, but I took a can of spray paint and put $4 on the, on the door of the shop. And what that meant to that, that family, their cost production was over $7 a, a bushel for corn. They had to get their cost production down to $4 according to the bank or else the bank was going to take the farm and by getting a simple common language that got everybody unified what's the simple goal and in that situation the dad they had switched over to no-till they still had three three discs they had had kept all their conventional equipment dad would not let that stuff go he says well you never know we might need it someday that decision because we have four dollars on the shop door 
they got unified. The brother down the road, he, he they built a had a million and a half dollar house. He decided to move out of that house and move into grandma's house, which was built in the 1800s. That house should have been scrapped, but you know they couldn't afford the the farm down the road, and it got all down to because there was four dollars on the on the door. They all got unified that if we don't get our cost production down to four dollars, we're not going to own that door, right? And then and then about six weeks after I met with them, we got that four dollars in the door. The brother-in-law, uh, the, the the two brothers were scrapping in the yard, and the one and one brother was on top of this girl's husband. And he was about to pound him and she yelled out across the yard and, and there was not good relationship between sister-in-law and brother-in-law in that situation and she yelled what's the, what does this have to do with four dollar corn and that solved the problem and so what i really am a big believer in is getting a common language of the family as to what you're wanting to accomplish and then getting it so simple that it's on the uh, you can put it on a wallet you can put a business plan on above the toilet and then you can also filter it down to a, a couple simple things that everybody can pull out i have unscripted here for the listener readers here i always get like a five or six rules that, that we we abide by inside the wallet right and so we have a common business business goal on the front of the wallet and on the inside we have simple goals on one side and on the other side we have some simple rules like Always be the partner and friend you'd always want to have. Another simple business rule that's quite often is never make it. We make all major decisions together. Nobody's smarter than the other guy. You know, if you can get five or six simple rules that everybody can abide, abide by, and everybody's speaking the same language, so you're not just saying saying we make all all decisions together, and your uncle Bill doesn't understand what the heck it is you mean. When you and your uncle Bill are having an argument. You've got to be able to say a simple line that unifies you guys and makes it, it, it simplify that decision. Sorry for speaking too much there, but that, I think getting common language is absolutely critical and it just can't be done by one person off the farm. Everybody's got to be involved. And Uncle Bill, it's got to be in a language that's just folksy that everybody can remember and so sticky that everybody can remember, remember it. So, and I mean that spray painting $4 on the front door is pretty pretty clear i like that yeah you know you really got to simplify it to be able to spray paint it on the door in any useful fashion yeah and it'll piss you off every time you go by that door it's ugly but it will piss you off to the point that you actually change your actions so did that family paint over that four dollars or did they just leave it their, up their cost production there? they're still going they they went down to and within a year we got their cost from seven dollars down to i think four thirty-five. And so the bank, they're still going. And their, their cost was actually down. I, last time I talked to them was a couple of years ago and they were down to $3 for the cost production. Now with, with inflation, I don't know what it is today, but you know, what, what, what's simple is that once they got, I mean, they were able to buy a new door and the next time they got a nicer sign on the door. But the thing is that they're still, they still have the farm because they had such a simple goal. And the day I, let, I showed up, that wasn't gonna happen, right? I almost got punched for doing that too, but I'm welcome there anytime now. Well, and it, it seems like having a rule like that, that's real damn clear as to whether a decision gets you closer to that or further away. There's not a lot of wiggle room in $4. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty concrete. Yeah, absolutely. So as someone who's also an older parent of little kids, I'm 41 and my kids are four and five. So I'm 
I'm right there too. You know, those of us with younger kids, how do we raise them to not need you? I guess, you know, how do we, Oh, how, wow. do we raise, how do we raise our family to not, I mean, I, yeah. just put you out of business. There's plenty yeah, of other to, families. To, yeah. to have a, fa- a family culture with our own children that is going to, um, know, has those elements already incorporated, right? So we're not making, making the call when, when they're, I, 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 I think I think what I really want to dwell on is that the biggest problem I have in what I what I do is often one person reaches out to me and then another two partners are feel shame and guilt for some mistakes that they've done in the past and and they want to just put their head in the sand and they're passive aggressive by nature. And so it's about five years until they call me out. And often, you know, an auction, an auction sign is on the front of the farm or something of that nature. And like, I mean, I, I remember one time I had, uh, I spoke at a national conference and had a guy ask me to come and speak at his event that he was hosting in his state. And he won the award for being Young Farmer of the Year in his state. And uh, three weeks later, I was at that speaking event except for that farmer was not there because they were having the auction for his farm and that was a real story i'm not going to get into the details so that i mean i don't want to talk too much but this was a family that that they were upstanding people and they all thought that they were they didn't need a mediator and simply put it was it was a dad and two sons and they were they were top farmers but they didn't listen to each other's ideas and the farmer wasn't economical and it just wasn't fun anymore, really. And it was a frustrating environment to the point that, you know, the dad says, I don't need this anymore. You know, if he's going to be rude to me like this, why would, why would I stick my neck out and cash in my life savings to bail out the farm yet again? And it was simply, I mean, so I, I would say that there's, instead of having shame, I mean, the thing is, as you come home to the farm, you're transitioning from a parent-child to professional working relationship. And those gears have got to shift, right? And I would suggest just the same as being, you know, a young couple, when you date, you might be the perfect couple. And, but, you know, to actually transition from a married couple, young married couple to a really good team, it, it, it forces a shift, no matter how good of a person you are. And so I think that you need an outsider to help you transition and help you become self, self-aware. Self-awareness is a big part of what I do. And so instead of, Instead of saying, oh, we're not, we don't need that type of service. We're good people. You know, why not have the, why not, instead of saying that you should, you should ask yourself, how can we look at the opportunity? This is an opportunity to go from good to great and having a process. If you can work with somebody for a couple of years, take from good to great. Anything you can do to improve quality of decision-making is going to skyrocket your farm profitability. A lot of the farms I work with, we nearly double their profitability, but more importantly, anything we can do to take, you know, Every family, no matter how good of a family you are, you're going to have 5% of friction within yourself. You're going to have 5% of friction with your siblings. And the question, and, and the question is, how can you take that from good to great? And if you can do that, farm with family for the next 30 years is, is amazing. You're always going to have problems, but we get the fundamentals in place. So it's not a power struggle, but you're actually able to problem solve together as a family. So... As those of us who are, you know, older parents with younger kids and we're, I don't, 
really want to wait another 25 years before I even start thinking about transitioning my kids into the farm. You know, I'm 41 now. It's, I don't really want to be 70 before we're even talking about it. How old do kids need to be to start letting them really have a say in things, you know, or bringing them to the table at least and letting them, you know, have some, have some thoughts in things. He's thinking about that three. That, that is, a, that is, that is <laughs> look, all, all I'll do is, is I'll explain to you what I, what I found. Okay. With myself. And, and well, that's a really hard question. I think it all depends on the kid. I'll, I'll tell you what we homeschool. Okay. So we have kids that are a four, a four and a half and three, which is pretty young to be schooling, but they, they, we do six days a week. We do about three hours of school. And so we had, my wife is amazing. She was homeschooled herself. She's amazing. Like I'm working from four o'clock in the morning to five o'clock every night. And so for me to come up the stairs, she has me chained to a, in the cellar. I think I'm the thing that makes the money in the cellar. <laughs> so the thing is for me to go upstairs and, and hear my wife with, with my children is to me, she's just amazing. But there are days as, as with anybody, that's really tough. Right. And there was a, there was a come to Jesus moment a while back where she, she just wondered how I mean, I think she had a lot of ambitions and things were just not falling through. And so for us, like she was really frustrated, for instance, that one of the things was that she, she takes a lot of pride in having a really nice house and the kids just don't say, take the same pride. And that sounds like kids. Yeah. Yeah. So the, what, what I did was I got coffee mugs. So the co- I'm just looking, you asked me a question I've never been asked before. So this is what you have to bear with me is it on the coffee mug, it says two things, inspire true North. And this picture of us camping together. And then in the back, back of the coffee mug, it says, make learning fun. And so inspire true North for us, I used to preach. Okay. And now I'm focused on teaching and what I'm doing is I'm getting them, I'm asking them questions and making them think for themselves instead of me telling them what to do. And I'm acting as a guide and I'm helping them get the internal compass. So they got their own true North. And then the backside of it is make learning fun. And so I think that if it's not fun, they don't want to learn. So it's the challenge for us to always make it fun. And if you can, create the fun that then they're constantly learning. And, and it's the same thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's for me is if you can make learning fun and if you can inspire the true North so they don't have to be told what to do, but they have an internal compass to do the right thing. Always. That's a good start for, for any, any foundation for homeschooling or, or schooling your kids and growing up on the farm. I know too. I talked to a family at the uh, Practical Farmers of Iowa conference a couple of years ago. They've got they're out in Colorado, and I think they've got twenty six family members actively involved in the family farm. Yeah, their kids start if they can reach the table, they come to meetings sure. and they report. You know, every kid has a couple rabbits or ten chickens for four H or whatever, sure. and they report to the family meeting every week about their little their little thing. You know, because I know so many families, like it sounds like yours was, that the kid gets handed the farm financials the day they leave for college. And it's, oh, hey, you had a lot no of kids don't get it until they're, 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 they get the, the two weeks after the funeral. Yeah. A lot of kids are well, and it's, yeah. oh, hey. We, we can talk about that in a minute. But I, I think the thing, the biggest change for me was, was actually 
So 15 years ago, I started mediating family disputes and I was dealing with the most dire situations. Like I got that reputation for, you know, turning on the most dire situations. So it was actually a Christian reformed family and there was husband, two husbands and wives and then grandmas at the end of the kitchen table just crying her eyes out. And grandpa had ran that farm with an iron fist and seven years ago died. And then the two brothers just simply didn't know how to make decisions together. And, and every decision was a pissing contest after that. And when I showed up that day, there was a kid leading a 4-H calf. And he was about 17. And he got up. That kid, I just met him before he walked in. And his mom made a complaint that the kid wouldn't change his clothes after school. He'd go straight to the barn. And that's because that kid, he got up before school to milk cows and then after school. That kid lived a farm. And yet, and here, here we were sitting, uh, I don't know about you, but 4-H, I mean, it has a lot of different means to a lot of folks, but to me, it, it's about self-improvement. And here we encourage our kids to, to, we expect the kids for the farm to be an environment for a kid to become a better person. And yet at the kitchen table inside, everything was going down, the farm was bringing out the worst in everybody. Here is two sister-in-laws pointing fingers at each other and back in high school, they were actually best friends, but that day they, they were worst enemies. And they actually had me out as a mediator out to the farm. They didn't care about mediating. They just wanted somebody to take their side and to convince grandma that they were in the right. They were, they were arguing and stuff was being said that could not be taken back. And it was going down. So that kid, they might split up the equity on the farm, but they were talking about putting the parents in such a debt situation that 10 years at some point in time, yes, milk prices were good that day, but at some point in time in 10 years time, you know, they would not be good and they, that kid would not be farming. And the fact was that everybody was stubborn and everybody was pointing fingers at each other and they weren't looking at the three fingers pointing back at them. They were, they were constantly getting in arguments in that meeting that I had with them, one to shift blame on each other and then take blame off themselves and talk about a different problem than another partner had. And there was actually, this is a Christian reform family and they read the Bible three times a day, but they were being anything but Christian to each other in that meeting. And there was words written in red, the words of Jesus actually, Matthew 7, 5 says, do not take this, talk to your brother about taking the speck out of your brother's eye until you take the plank out of your own. And that to me was a change in my whole perspective about mediation and how I work with families. Is that this family was good people. Everybody at that kitchen table were awesome people that anybody would really respect. One was actually church deacon, right? Another did Sunday school, right? They were all really, really good people, really upstanding. But the thing is, is that they weren't willing to identify the 5% about the character that was a fault. They just wanted to point blame on our other partners. And what that, for me, that moment, my whole perspective changed. We need to stop being stubborn with each other. We need to start being stubborn at turning our bad habits into good habits. And so that's why I have a process of continuous improvement. I, I never go out to a farm in person. I just meet with families over Zoom. And so if I can have a half an hour or 45 minute meeting with your family every, every couple of weeks, once a month, whatever, and we make one improvement to how you work together as a family, one improvement to character, and you have 24 meetings, your family's gonna be a whole lot different. And I don't care how good of a farm family you have, everybody can go from good to great. And if you can go from good to great, it, it makes farming fun again.
as well as improves the odds of your family actually farming together in 30 years time. Mm -hmm. I heard you on another podcast talking about one of your, the ways you, you motivate people to actually do their homework when it comes to, to, to those meetings. Can you talk to us a little bit about one of the ways you, you encourage people to actually do the things? Cause that's the other thing, right? Is it's, it's all well and good to, to sit on a zoom meeting or have a family meeting and say, yeah, yeah we're, we're going to do all these things. But then when you come back and nobody's actually done it, then you can't that, make any progress. That, that is the biggest thing that I found when I started doing this about 15 years ago was the low rate of implementation of ideas. So we'd have family business meetings and everybody make promises to do things and then things happen like the business of a family farm you might have haylage to take off the field right and then what i was finding was actually even successful farms half the ideas were not getting implemented if not 70 percent of the idea, good ideas that they came up with the previous meeting just weren't being followed through so one of the things that i i get in that situation they had we had problem solved all the possible causes of they had a low pregnancy rate in their barn and they couldn't figure out why. And so we had broken it down to five different possible factors and everybody had walked away with one thing that they had to change. One thing was straight voltage. And they had just checked straight voltage a few years before and they didn't think there was a problem. So I came back to the meeting and, and the guy that uh, I actually think is still to this day, one of the best farmers I know, he hadn't got around to doing it. He says, well, I got busy with halogen. And I said, well, you have to take $5 out of your wallet and burn it. And to see that, that farmer actually have to watch $5 burn the next meeting he came back and he had that thing done. And I think that, you know, accountability is so critical. I mean, you can say, oh, I'm sorry, but it's not until you have a method of accountability that everybody buys into because, you know, the meeting after it was grand grandpa had to come to the table and burn $10 out of his wallet because he hadn't gotten something done. And they actually see, have everybody held accountable to the same standard and there to be a real punishment. I mean, no farmer wants to see his money burn. Now, in the United States of America, I just want to clarify that it's illegal to burn money. And I've been told by the United States of America government to remind farmers of that because obviously it's, it's illegal. But the thing is, what's really important is there's got to be a carrot and the stick. And there's got to be a thorough a stick for everybody so that everybody's accountable and, and, and working towards a held to the same standard. I have to say, too, as someone who that is definitely the biggest issue in our family, too, is it's real easy to make plans, but actually making them happen. Yeah, it's pretty I, damn I, depressing that bringing an outsider in makes it easier to, to respect it. But if it works, I, I, I mean, that, that that dairy example right there, it was actually a $115,000 mistake. I mean, they, they had, what that happened was they had a street voltage. They had actually put wind towers just down the road and that changed the whole street voltage on the grid. And that was, that in itself just made that, I mean, the, the, the cost of my time worth it easily. And there's a lot of money like that slipping between the cracks in every operation. And it's, it's just because we have great intentions, but how do we get everybody focused on what matters? And so I, I really find that over two years, if you can have, get an act, and the discipline, I mean, what I'm doing is focusing on creating habits. And if you can get your family used to create, holding each other accountable to create the habits, you know, the first couple of months, you're not going to get grandpa to actually burn $10. It's just not going to happen. He's going to think that he's better than everybody else. He doesn't need to do that. But it's not until everybody's on the same level and everybody's pulling the same direction and everybody's equally accountable that you actually get real changes made on your operation. That is a good point. 
So we've talked already about you being a dad of a trio of young ones. How has having kids changed your perspective on, on your work? Well, I'd actually come back to this coffee mug I just spoke to you about earlier in that I seen the question actually earlier this morning, and I just was thinking about that over the day. Basically, it's, I used to preach, and now I teach. So I used to, you know, it's my, I really realized by teaching my kids, by getting them to ask questions themselves and getting them to think critically about what they're doing instead of telling them that they're in the wrong, it's really changed how I parent, but it's also changed how I work with folks. So I'm really, I, I never judge. I'm very focused on getting farmers to, to ask themselves questions and to, to know thyself. And then the, the, the other thing is make learning fun. And as you can imagine, being a mediator, I get called in to deal with the most dire situations. And we're not going to get anywhere unless everybody's having fun. If everybody's not having fun, everybody's going to shut down and not be open to learning. It's only when we create an environment that's fun where, where the family is actually looking forward to that hour meeting with the mediator. And it's, it's actually a fun environment that everybody can learn about themselves and learn about how they can improve their actions to make the farm more successful. So what's your favorite thing about the age your kids are right now? My favorite thing about the age my kids are. And you can do each of them at a time. I mean, there's, there's well, I, something I think kind of special I, about each, each yeah, age I, I think. At. I think the thing is, is that with Huck, my oldest, he's four and a half. He is a manager at a very young age. He is going to be a CEO. He already has, I mean, he- Has he got the the oldest sibling bossiness? I, oh I mean, my goodness. My we were actually going to call him boss. That was one of the suggestions I had for a name. <laughs> and that would have been appropriate for this child. You know, he, we were actually at a restaurant the other day and there was a, there's a toy shop. And there was, there was machinery sheds. Those of you guys know machinery shed. There's a store at the front, just like a Cracker Barrel. And, uh, and he seen Hedgehog and he was really infatuated about, about that. And he got up to pee at uh, four o'clock in the morning. And then he started, we wanted to have a conversation about, because I had said, he, he broke down and melted down. I said, Huck, in order for you to get this toy, you have to earn it. You have to earn it. And so four o'clock in the morning, he wanted to have a conversation about that their day. And uh, I said, well, you got to work. And he, he said, well, can mommy help? And so he's starting to get, he started, he wanted mommy to help him pick sticks in order to, I said, no, Huck, you got to do that yourself. You got to earn your own money. It's not up for mommy and daddy. So that, that's one thing that just was cute as anything was him learning to not just manage people, even though he's got that natural gift. But to him, I actually realized that he has to earn things himself and the value of work. And he's actually motivated. I think he's doing some things for me this afternoon. And we'll go buy that toy as a result of that, but not until he learns that lesson. My second boy, his name is Samuel Colt Fox. Yeah, my, my, my kids have my wife's name, maiden name. I think, uh, yeah, I just really think that, um, yeah, anyways, but he fell in the fire pit just six weeks ago. So he actually got second and third degree burns to five parts of his body. So that was pretty scary. And so just being able to do, and I myself actually had in beginning of July, had a paint can blow up in my face on the fire pit. So the, the three weeks before he got, he got hurt. I actually was hurt myself and, and almost took off my nose and a good chunk of my arm. And so we both are fireproof, I guess you'd say. And so the, the thing is, is that doing chores with him last night, 
it just really made me appreciate the moment. And then my third child is Samuel Colt. No, his, no, sorry. My third child's name is, is a Scout Fox. And uh, he was born Christmas Eve, and he is just learning to, to walk this week. And, uh, you know, it's just precious to be able to, to, to be able to take. Arlene knew me when I was a bachelor, and it was really tough for me to save family farms. I dealt with a lot of tough situations where, you know, basically got to the point in Western Ontario where the only time people would call me was when they had problems. And, uh, you know, the only time I was socially interacting with people was to dealing with problems and that got to be a little much. So to be able to, uh, to be able to take five minutes, I'm going to read after, uh, after between, between calls and helping farmers uh, with very tough situations, be able to teach a kid their first steps is uh, really precious to me. Mm -hmm. it helps me to do what I do. Yeah. Definitely helps you keep perspective. How's yeah. your, how's your little guy doing with the, with the, he's birds? doing awesome. We are, yeah, we, we've only been grateful. I actually put a, I don't want to get too religious, but the thing is, is that we were, they, they gave us pain medication that was pre, I didn't really want to, to give the kid, the, the kid, the pain medication that they were prescribing and put a call out to friends just about five minutes before a lot of folks just walked into church on Facebook saying, Hey, can we get your prayers? And just within two hours, his whole demeanor, the day, this is the day after the fire happened. His whole, he was playing on bikes two hours later. And I, I don't want to get too religious, but I really do believe in the power of prayer after that. And so he's, it's just been nothing but fantastic. Just the, the he pulled himself out of the fire pit with his two arms. And so those two areas are still healing, but they're, they're coming along great. And uh, yeah, I think 20 years from now, we'll be able to remind him that he pulled himself out of the fire. He can get himself out of the fire that whatever he gets himself into. Yeah, he's, he's, he's fireproof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we should reconsider the fire pit after both of those, those incidents. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is that I think a lot of folks would, I, I really think that when you raise kids, you're going to have problems right, regardless. And you just got to oh, accept sure, that as a yeah. fact. Yeah. And you can do your best as a parent to to try to shelter them, but to to do, I think the emphasis should be on placing common sense. Yeah. And uh, it was it was actually a situation where it was so dark that he didn't see the fire pit. I don't I don't mm -hmm. think that it was a matter. Yeah. Of him, I was um, I was just teasing. Really. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think that that's important is is that we're very grateful that uh, instead of being feeling that we're cursed, and and how dire of a situation it is we're just really grateful about how quickly he's recovered and really want to thank all our friends and probably a few are listening for the prayers because it really did make a difference mm -hmm. i have to say though with what you said about your four and a half year old being such a good manager i'm wondering if we shouldn't put our four and a half year old in charge of the farm it's the way that kid he is obsessed with his tractors and his farm and all that and i'll tell you for his organized and driven and you know good at prioritizing as he is he might just be better off just letting him do it his ideas katie huck 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 is a genius like i mean the, th the things he comes up with most of the time he's correct it's amazing <laughs> i'm looking forward to to seeing what the kid can do 10 years from now yeah so yeah. talking about the the future what goals do you have going forward with the the business side of your life with your your coaching um, and your um, it's just, it just how, how can I save as many family farms as possible? Mm -hmm. So uh, there's nobody doing what I do or how I do it. And so I, I have a challenge that I just have just all of a sudden overwhelmed with too many people contacting me. And so, which is a good thing. Um, 
but it's it's i mean i'm i'm putting in 14 hour days every day the challenge for me is how do we the time that i'm actually at home how am i actually spent how am i actually present how am i not watching i, I we, we got rid of the television and everything else all the distractions so the the couple hours that i am able to spend in a day with my kids how am i actually spending my time with my wife and my kids in the way that they need me not not that i i, I need them the person related to business is scalability and so you know we're just setting things up so that anybody could walk in and do what i do and that's really important we're, we're ramping up to be able to hire 10 people but before we hire our first employee i really want to get scalable systems and we're spending a lot of time doing that so i'm getting up at four o'clock every morning and spend the first five hours of the day setting up my systems so that we're able to help as many farmers across north america as we can not just the amount of farms that i can but we can fundamentally change how farming is done across north america so that's that's a challenge that i have and uh, yeah, and we're looking, we're right now looking for good people. So if anybody knows of anybody that has a farming background that has a passion for saving family farms as much as I do, and some talent that would be attributable, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. There, job interviews, getting them lined up. Sure. I think I might actually have a couple leads for you on that. Sure, I think so, uh, yeah. I'll tell you what. So we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair, what would it be? And categories can be real or made up to ensure you're sure you're winning. Well, I mean, I, I, you, I think for me, what I remember is the, the day that I was in a lot of different Bob Cajun family, Bob Cajun fair was a big thing for me. And I remember one time I was showing my 4-H calf and I uh, know I was showing the horses and then I had to run across the fairgrounds to uh, show my calf. And the same day, my my aunt had guilted me into the fact that there wasn't as many farm kids in my hometown. So she made me, my Aunt Joyce, she she basically said, you have to be in every category. So she had spent six months pressuring me. So I had a, you know, was in the Lego competition. I was in the art competition. I was in baking competition, even though anybody that knows my baking skills is still skeptical about that today. But I was in a lot of different categories. But in the same way, I would say that, I mean, for me, the 4-H calf and, and the horses were my main event at the fair. In the same way, for what I do is I help stubborn farmers work better together. And I help farm do that by helping farmers stop being stubborn with each other. And that's the one thing I do. And the second thing I do is I get everybody to stop start being stubborn at turning bad habits into good habits to, to, that will make the farm successful. And then if you do those two things, like things like mental health, farm profitability, their side effects, you know, of fixing the root issue of turning stubborn from a bad word to a good thing for a farm family. I'm picturing some sort of event that would be kind of like team roping or like, you know, ox pulling, but with farm families to, you know, <laughs> yeah. like a okay. Here's team the roping goal. tractor pulling situation. <laughs> yeah, I think I think families. Yeah, Let's we're thinking figure about out how, yeah, one of those farmer Olympic type, you know, obstacle events, but you have to actually coordinate all the people who are doing the different think back to College Royal, right, Cajun? Oh, I remember College Royal well. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> Anybody so want to tell the American what a college royal is? Well, so, alcohol. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I there are you. a bunch of different events. And it's the annual university open house. We'll go with that. Yeah. So I, I'm going to move us into our cussing and disgusting segment. We registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe, where you can leave your cussing and disgusting entries for us, and we will play them on the show. So if you go to speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language, you can leave us a voice memo, or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com, and we will read it out for you. Katie. Hi, Barnyard peeps. It's Janine calling from south of London, Ontario, Canada, and I just wanted to share my little cussing for your discussing section today because it's June and we are parenting in a place where it's very hot and it's very busy and all the things happen in June, including very special events that all the schools seem to want all the children to be prepared for with cashless trips for kids who don't have cards and activities that require trips to the dollar store and trips to the grocery store and we live in the country and we have to get our kids home and then take them back to town and then buy more things and some of us have credit cards and maybe some of us don't so anyway just a lot of things to figure out when we thought we could just put the kids on the bus and send them to school that's my cousin now you can be discussing what do you got yeah katie you you do some Sorry, my internet's cutting out bad. So Arlene, are you recording as well? No, I'm not. It's on you. Okay. All right. Well, we're just going to go with it then. We're incredibly lucky that through my town job that I also work from home, Cajun. So I understand that trying to be present at doing one thing at a time. Yeah. We're incredibly lucky. We have really good insurance. But trying to order new glasses and we've got you know health insurance and our vision insurance isn't part of the health insurance and the dental insurance is kind of part of the vision insurance but not really and I just want to order some damn glasses and it just seems like we should be able to make I mean we've got people living in outer space and I know that this is like the example I keep coming back to but if we have people living in outer space I feel like we should be able to get our insurance shit all in one place so that I can just order my damn glasses because I'm just feeling a little grumpy after order bifocals and Uh I just that's a whole new stage they're really freaking expensive I don't know if you know this Arlene they're real expensive yeah and apparently for our insurance we only have to order through this one company or we can order through whoever we want but then we have to get reimbursed (laughs) I I just want my glasses like I don't have hoops Exactly. I don't have the brain capacity for this. And then you have to decide on frames. Oh my God. Don't even say it. Yeah. (laughs) There's a reason I always just buy a bunch of the cheap ones and call it good to, you know, little kids on the farm. It's better to just buy a couple pairs of $50 glasses than to buy one nice pair. Yeah. So Cajun, what do you have to cuss and discuss? Well, I just, I was just shocked and amazed that Arlene Hunter has got, got, got one that involves cussing. That's for starters. But <laughs> I, I'd say that the second thing is, is my second book was called Farm Management Shouldn't Be a Pissing Contest. I've written five books. That book is out of print now, but I remember Arlene's face, I think, when I said the name of the book was Farm Management Shouldn't Be a Pissing Contest because it involved a cuss word. So I think that regardless of that book, I mean, uh, you can go online or you can actually go to my website, stubborn.farm, and I'll give you guys a free book. My latest book is called Bulletproof Your Farm. But I think I think my bottom line message is that, I mean, as related cussing is that farm management shouldn't be a pissing contest. 
And so that that's that's my biggest beef is how do we get everybody from button heads to pulling farmer in different directions? And if you can think about that as you go home today, let's improve the odds of your family is still farming together in 50 years time. And Arlene, what do you have to cuss and discuss? Okay. Passwords. Or just discuss. So, okay. So apparently. Yeah. yeah apparently. Your I'm, secrets I'm, out, Arlene. Yeah. Effing passwords. So passwords for adults are bad enough. And we all know you have to have 5,000 different passwords and you can never write them down. They have to all be different. But then you add kids into the mix oh, and wow. then you start to like log into stuff for them or for their school and is it their email address or their school email address and then which password did you use for them or did you log in yourself but put it under their name and there's just too many passwords and then you try them all and you got logged get logged out of stuff or get locked out of stuff or then the kids start to create their own accounts but then think that you know that what the password they used it's passwords are garbage I hate them. Arlene, I, I'll uh, post some links in the show notes as well, but I'll send it to you. The upside of my day job is that I do have some substantial thoughts about password manager apps. Oh, including you some, have solutions some good, for me? I do have solutions for you that don't even involve a post-it note, which oh. was my solution before <laughs> that's, I got this that's your high-tech newfangled job. Yeah. All right. Tell me the ones They're, I can trust. Uh, one password. It is the digit one. The word password it's on the app store it's a good one there's a bunch problems. of other ones too but yeah turns out that microsoft does not see writing it on a post-it note and sticking it to your desk as being a real solid security plan oh so, man i know seriously anyway so thank you so much andy bob cajun for joining us on the podcast today tell us one more time what your website is and where people can find you it's just stubborn.farm. And yeah, if you just go to stubborn.farm slash podcasts, you can listen to me on other podcasts I've been on and, and listen, listen and share this with a friend. And if you want to change their perspective, because I'm sure there's some folks that you probably listen to when you're listening about this podcast, there's probably some folks that could have stood to listen to this podcast or a different similar message. So let's save some farm families together. Thank you. It was All great right. to see you on Zoom. Yeah, it's great seeing you. Thanks for joining us. And next time you're in Iowa, Arlene, <laughs> yes. you and Hugh, make sure. To Thank you for joining us today on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash Barnyard Language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making the show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you'd like to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We're always in search of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.